The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Can I just say, so every December, I think we, we are overly ambitious about what we're going to accomplish during the Christmas season between the police and everything else, and then the report out start happening, I'm like, I love our church so incredibly much. So seriously, from pastor to congregation, uh, it's just a real privilege to be able to do life with you guys and giggle at how God just keeps showing up. So thank you for being a part of that uh, with Acts, and uh, yeah, let's pray before we dive into the message. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, you are a good God. You are a God who, uh, as Terry just said, humbled himself, who emptied himself, who went from uh, literally running the universe to little baby, uh, Lord, dependent on us uh, because you loved us, because you had a plan for us, because you were willing to die for us. Lord God, I pray that in this season, uh, Lord, that we're able to reflect on what's really happening in Christmas. Father, Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So when I was 16 years old, I had it all figured out. And I really do mean this. When I was 16, I was convinced I knew the solution to every problem the world had. I don't know if I was alone in that, but I would look at what would be happening in politics or what would be happening in my hometown or what would be happening in my own family. And I knew if they just gave me the reins of control, I could fix everything. Right? I would be able to solve all of the world's problems. I was so wise. I was so smart. And let me tell you, I have gotten dumber every year since. Right? So from 16, I peaked of how smart I was, right? how I was going to fix everything. And every year since then, I realized, wow, I really don't know what I'm talking about. Right? And every year is another step in the, oh boy, yeah, I, I, I'm still a work in progress. And I bring that up because what we're going to be talking about today, we're in a series called A Thrill of Hope. And we've been looking at the theology of our traditional Christmas carol. I was talking to someone before the church, and they're like, you know what we should do next year? I'm like, what? More Christmas carols. And I'm like, wow, I'm glad people are passionate. That's good. But Joy to the World today is all about let earth receive her king. And we're going to go through verse by verse. 
and then into scripture, verse by verse, of the theology behind that. But the real starting point is, who would we actually want to be in charge? If you could pick someone, who would you pick? Would it be Mr. Rogers? Would it be a celebrity? Would it be a current politician? Who would you really want to actually be in charge, not just of the United States or the governor, but of the entire world? Can you pick someone? Because oftentimes, if I was going to be honest with you, I'd probably still put myself in that seat. Well, if someone's got to do it, right, I'll fix all the world's problems. The irony is, and I most of the time am humble enough or at least uh, realistic enough to realize this, I might fix all the world's problems, I would create glorious new ones. And I mean monstrosity new problems with my solutions, right? But this idea of joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. The theology behind this is that Jesus actually is the one who's supposed to be in charge. He can solve the world's problems. If he was in control, if he had his hand on the steering wheel, he actually would be able to untangle this muck and mess that we find ourselves in. I mean, and we all know there's muck, we all know there's mess. We talk about it a lot, but you turn your TV on the news, you scroll down social media, and there's just a lot of brokenness. Right? And according to the story, according to scripture, Jesus is the one who actually has the wisdom who actually is wise enough and knowledgeable enough and caring enough to be that king. And so joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. What's interesting in that, though, is the story goes, as we just read, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, another king, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. But when the current king, Herod, heard this, he was disturbed. And what's interesting was, it's not just him. All of Jerusalem is disturbed with him. Right? So it's not just the guy in charge who probably has the most to lose. So you can at least understand why King Herod might not be super excited about this bigger king showing up. Wait, he's going to take over my kingdom? He's going to be the one in control? I could get, again, I don't think it was right, but you could at least understand. But what's interesting is it's not just King Herod who's disturbed. All of Jerusalem is disturbed with him. And I think that's kind of the kicker here, right? They weren't really ready for God's chosen king. They had their own plans. They had their own dreams. They had their own version of what God was going to look like and what a champion king was supposed to be. And so they weren't really all that excited about Jesus, this new king, showing up. And as much as I would love to just throw them underneath the bus, like, yeah, it was King Herod. It was all those old people, right, 2,000 years ago. You look at my life, look at all of our lives, and there are times where we don't really want him in charge either. And we prove it by our actions. We, per, we prove it by how we respond to a text message. Or our first reaction to something that we see on social media. Or a conversation we have at the dinner table. Or how we're handling and dealing with someone at the office. Where we know, hey, this Jesus guy said turn the other cheek. But you know what? He hit me pretty hard. I'm already cocked and loaded. It's coming back. All right? We don't want the type of king that God sent. 
And so as much as I would love just to say it was just them, no, it's all of us. But what's unique about the song is it unpacks why he actually is the kind of king not only that we want, but that we need, and that's going to care for us, and that's actually going to be able to rule the world, rule our own microchasms of what God is up to. The song goes on. Oh, sorry. Uh, after they had heard uh, the king, so this is continuing on with the story. Um, I think there's one in between. No, all right. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. These are the magi. And the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Joy to the world. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were traditional gifts that you would give a king. Because what the Magi realized, right, there was a star that wasn't there before. Jesus is born, and literally creation changes. Magi at that time were the scholars of the day. They were the ones who studied astrology and histories and genealogies. They were wealthy. They were the best and the brightest. And what they realized was that literally creation changed when Jesus showed up. How much of a king, how much was creation excited about who this God was going to be? Literally, it changed itself. It put a giant spotlight over Bethlehem. It said, you guys want to take a peek at this guy. And the Magi, who, by the way, weren't Jewish. By the way, weren't Jesus people. They were so in awe of what God was doing that they realized, wow, if creation is taking notice, this might be something that we should take notice of too. So let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. So what does that look like for every heart to prepare him room? Because this is hard, right? Because my heart's kind of full of stuff, right? Might be full with the new Netflix series that's coming out. My heart might be full with a bonus that I'm going to get at work, or a vacation that I have planned, or whatever else I have in my agenda that I'm like, this should take priority. And at the same time, I've got a God who's saying, no, 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 I, I, I'm the one who's supposed to have priority. Well, Jesus addresses this, and he says this in Matthew. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must follow me. And what does that look like? For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but for whoever loses his life for me will find it. All of us at time will sacrifice anything to save our life. All right? We'll sacrifice a relationship to be right. We'll sacrifice taking the higher ground to get a counterpunch in. We'll sacrifice having integrity to have a little bit more money in the bank account. All of us seek to save our life, and in doing so, we actually end up tearing ourselves apart. Sin comes in and it starts breaking down relationships, either between us and God or us and each other or us in the world. We try to save ourselves and we end up further behind the eight ball than where we started. But Jesus then goes on, he says, but for whoever will lose their life for me will find it. So what does it look like to prepare him room? Well, step one is realizing that we're not really good at being king. 
we're not really good at being in control. And it's our control that gets us into the worst problems. My best thinking ends up being the worst decisions of my life, right? Left to my own decisions, left to my own devices, separated from God and his wisdom and his control and bringing him into the equation. When I start making decisions, I end up in some really dark places. We all end up in some really dark places because none of us were designed to rule the universe. Ironically, we're not even designed to rule our own lives. We're not even good at that. And so when we seek to find life in our own decisions, we end up losing it. But when we can come before a God and say, you know what, no, I, I, I actually am not king. I'm not good at being king, and so I want to learn from you. I want you to be the one in control. I want to take my beats and my passions and my posture from following you. Well, then according to Jesus, you'll find what real life is. Life full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. All those fruits of the Spirit that you can't buy. That you, by your own strength, aren't going to be able to muster up. He says, hey, connect to me and I'm going to give you all of these good things. These things that the world can't give you. These things that your own best decisions can't give you. So we prepare him room by saying, you know what, God, I'm, I'm not the king. You are. All right, step one. Enjoy to the world the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. Because while fields, floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. This is echoing the Psalms about how, how big of a king is he? How strong of a king is he? Not only people are worshiping him, but literally creation is singing his praises. This comes from the Psalms. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. And night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They, have, they use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. The words to the ends of the world... In heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoices to run his course. It rises at the end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other, and nothing is deprived from its warmth. You see, not only are people excited about what Jesus is doing, not only do people receive a promise, but literal creation does as well. One of the challenges we have as humanity is we like to think the story is all about us, right? We put ourselves at the center of God's story, and typically when we put ourselves at the center of anything, that's where sin starts to really come up, right? Whether it's me personally and saying, hey, I should be king, I should be in charge, or humanity saying, oh, no, 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 it's all about... It's, it's not, actually. Yes, humanity has a very unique space in God's story. Amen. We are created in his image. He dies for us. He redeems us. But the story is bigger than us. God creates an ecosystem that we're a part of, where we're supposed to steward, where we're supposed to bring the best out of. And so it makes sense that creation is excited that a king is coming that's actually going to be able to bring out the best in it, that's going to help take care of it the way it was supposed to, the way that it was meant to. And so creation's singing praises to this king who's going to come. 
And then we get to this next verse. And I'm going to be honest with you. Joy to the World was the song I was least excited about preaching on. Uh, when I picked the songs, I was like, well, we can't have too many about the angels. We can't have too many, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel's or adore him. Uh, Grant picked out his. So that one worked, a little town of Bethlehem. But I was like, ah, we need one more. And so I literally just kind of was like, ah, joy to the world. Everyone knows it. We're going to do a holy night, Christmas Eve. Peace out. We're done. But literally, that was what I was thinking. I'm like, I'm tired. We're almost to Christmas Eve. Just get to Christmas Eve. Just get to Christmas Eve. And I'm repeating that in my head over and over again. Joy to the world. That's the one we're doing. But then I heard this next verse. And it moved up my list pretty quickly. In fact, now, actually, after the rendition that uh, Lexi and Tanner did, which was just boss. Let's just own that, right? I was like, we got some cool musicians here. Anyway, that aside, this verse... No more let sins and sorrows grow, no, nor thorns infest the ground, for he comes to make his blessings flow. And this is the line, for as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. Why did Jesus come? To break the curse. You spend any time with me and you realize that I am a fantasy junkie, right? And in fantasies, one of the tropes, one of the stereotypes, a very regular part of the story, Ellen, I know you can attest to this, is someone is cursed, right? The princess is cursed. The prince is cursed. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, the story goes wrong, and now this curse is just permeating existence. Well, what's interesting is all those fantasy tropes, they're actually pulling from the Bible, because if you read Genesis 1, Genesis 2, things are good, and then a curse hits humanity. From Genesis 3, to the woman, he, being God, said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children, and your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Relationships are being cursed. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the fruit of the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to ground. That's cursing work. Work was meant to be good. Work was meant to be something that we find value in and strength in. And he goes, guess what? Even your work is cursed now. And then the kicker. For since from it the ground you were taken, for dust you are, and for dust you will return, you're cursed to death. Relationships are cursed. Bringing children into existence are cursed. Relationships with God are cursed. Relationships to the world are cursed. Guess what? Now we got to die. That's a pretty heavy curse. And yet, as the song says, why did Jesus come? So sin and sorrow no longer have to rule. I have this image of this broken, thistled land. And Jesus walking. And everywhere he walks, it goes from dust to garden. And thistles to vines and to branches and to life. From black and white to vibrant color. Everywhere the curse hits, Jesus shows up. And things just get better. The sick are healed, the hungry are fed. Those who have been cast out from community have new community, have new strength, have a place to call home and family and life and beauty start to reverberate out 
For as the curse is found, Jesus came to literally put creation back together. All aspects of it. Not just spiritually between us and God. Sometimes we give him, well, that's your lane, God, and we're going to take care of everything else. He's like, no, no, no. I'm king of the world. I'm king of heaven and of earth. I'm going to put it all back in its rightful place. Far as the curse is found, he says, I'm going to redeem it and reconcile it and make it beautiful again. So he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love, wonders of his love, and wonders, wonders of his love. What I love about this verse is it really talks about what kind of king we have. Because right? there's different ways to rule. You can be an authoritative. You could try to have consensus with people. There's all different kinds of ways to rule. But it talks about the character of this king that we have. And time and time again, through the stories of Jesus, he proves his character that's full of truth. And truth can be hard sometimes. It's not always easy but it's real, but grace, that divine favor of God, and more than anything else, the love of God, right? So he comes as a baby. Babies are full of hope and love, just bundles of joy and bundles of other stuff too, but bundles of love mostly, right? But then he ends it, right? He ends his, what does kingship look like for him? This is from Matthew. He says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethanage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying, Go to the village of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there and a colt beside her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything, say that the Lord needs them and he'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes. Gentle, riding on a donkey. And the foal of a donkey. From his birth in the little town of Bethlehem, to his death on the cross. He proves again and again and again what kind of king he is. He's God. He could have come in, put his foot down, and been like, enough of the shenanigans. I gave you guys a few millennia to figure it out. You mucked it up. I'm taking over. End of story, right? He could have done that. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But that's not how he shows up. He shows up humble. He shows up with empathy and saying, I want, to know, I want you to know I know the experience of being human. I want to live for 33 years on earth so you know that I know that when you're hurting, I've hurt before. When you're scared, I've been scared before. When someone's betrayed you, I've been betrayed before. Says, I will be human. I will empathize with you. I will understand you. I will fight for you. I will be gentle but I will also be king. And if you let me be king, beat by beat in your life, you will have a king that you can trust. You will have a king that will advocate for you. You will have a king that will reconcile you back to God, reconcile you back to the broken relationships in your life, reconcile you back to the world itself. Truly, joy to the world, our Lord has come. That is something that we are grateful and eager to be able to receive.
I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to go back into a time of worship, and then we're going to go into a time of confession where we say, hey, I've tried to be king this week. Didn't work out very well. Absolution, where we actually get to receive forgiveness of sins, where God's going to show up, and he's going to be here for us, with us. And then we're going to get to worship in response to that. I'd ask you guys to pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. You are a God who consistently is finding ways to uh, remind us what type of king you are. And Lord, we need those reminders because we are fairly stubborn. I am fairly stubborn. (laughs) And yet you continue to love and redeem and restore. Lord, we pray that in this Christmas season we can truly rejoice, that we can sing with creation, that we can sing with our brothers and sisters, how good of a king we have. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.